0: chapter 12. I'm going to read one verse to you, and I don't know if we'll get to any other passages tonight um, as, we, uh, as we gather in this place. Let me get us uh, uh, up on the screen here while you find your place. Job chapter uh, 12. Yeah, there we go. And... Uh, we're going to talk about where is America in prophecy. And I wish more had been here tonight, but I, I debated whether or not to do it tonight because uh, I figured we'd be uh, very low with uh, New Year's coming. But at the same time, um, I just felt like we needed to, to go ahead with this. I'm going to give you a lot of content, a lot of information. You can't write it all down. You might you might want to go back, it'll be, uh, because it's live stream, it'll also be available on our uh, social media platforms and uh, probably our website as well. You might want to go back at some point in time and, um, and, and follow up on anything that you can't quite uh, take, uh, take down. But in Job chapter 12, is everybody there, Job chapter 12? Look at verse 23 with me, if you will. It says, He, that's God, uh, he makes nations great, and look at this: He destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he leads them away. Isn't that an interesting verse? That he makes nations great. You know, the Bible also says it's God that lifts one up and casts another down. That's that talks about leadership. It is a principle that certainly applies to uh, nations, and. Um, and so it is God who makes nations great. Um, you know, we've just seen um, an interesting uh, election. That's, I guess, the best way to say it. And, um, and people have asked me, what, what is your take? Well, we don't have time for that. But I, I will say this. God is either going to send a message through doing something supernatural Or he's going to send a message by letting things happen as they have, regardless of whether it was right or wrong or whatever your opinion is about that. In either case, I've said God is sending us a message. Hello? Did you know the average duration of empires, the great empires historically, what would you think it is? Somebody tell me. What would you think the average age in years of like uh, Assyria, one of the great empires, or uh, the Medo-Persians or something like that? Anybody have an idea? What? what uh, historically, the greatest empires in the world I'm talking about. Do you have any idea? 100 years, what's that? 250, 200. Now, the Roman Empire endured for how long? 500, um, and it's, an, it's kind of an anomaly historically because the average lifespan of an empire is just over 200 years. Isn't that kind of spooky as Americans? Now, the Roman Empire, which is a fascinating study, I, I'm telling you, it is just fascinating, and much of that is because so much of Christianity emerged in the Roman Empire, uh, but they survived for 500 years. Now, toward the end of that 500 years, a, a couple of year, hundred years left in that empire, they were kind of a divided empire. They had two capitals, one in Rome and the other was in, anybody know? Constantinople, named after who? The Roman emperor Constantine, who, by the way, became a Christian. You know how he became a Christian? He was going into battle. He had to go into battle. He was he hated Christians. He had, he had been involved in, in the persecution of Christians, but he got converted. He got converted because he was gonna, going into battle to face an enemy that would defeat them, and they all knew that they were outmanned and outpowered. This is toward the uh, closing uh, centuries of the Roman Empire, and Constantine had a vision the night before the battle where the Lord spoke to him and told him he would give him victory. And in fact, they did. They won. And because of that, he declared himself a Christian and that he was now a follower of the same, uh, the same God that the Christians he had long persecuted with. In fact, he became <laughs> so dedicated, if you want to use that word, I'm not sure it's the right word, he became so dedicated to The advancement of Christianity in the Roman Empire, that he began to take Roman citizens and give them the opportunity to become Christians. And here's how he did it. He said, will you convert to Christianity? If you don't, we're going to chop your head off. He had lots of converts, you know. Uh, but uh, the Roman Empire is an anomaly historically because it lasted even though, again, um, it, it's couple, the last couple of hundred years were highly questionable. But guess why it failed? It became politically corrupt. Uh, it became militarily soft. And that's what had made it. It had been so, and by the way, just so you'll know, Rome had a similar government to America. Uh, They had a republic. They had senators and representatives. And they became corrupt. And the emperors became corrupt. And uh, then they became soft. Their their morals became uh, unbelievable. The sexual perversion that moved through the Roman Empire. I mean, when you go and study, it's why I talk about it a lot. If you go study it, you go. My goodness. Now listen to this. It took them. Fi- they collapsed from within. We're told historically the barbarians came down and overran them, and they did in time. But the real collapse happened. The barbarians had never had a chance if they had not internally uh, collapsed essentially. Uh, economically, militarily, and politically. And it took them 500 years. Those who watch those sorts of things say America has already arrived at the place Rome was at 500 years. So um, just thought I'd share that encouraging word with you as we head into the new year. In fact, if you're probably, you're probably not going to get a lot of encouraging words here tonight. We're talking about the last days. We're continuing our series and we have finally gotten, you know, we talked about uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, our last session, that war, what God was doing, why he was allowing it. And tonight I want to begin talking to you and answering the question, where is America in the last days? This has increasingly become a topic of discussion among prophecy teachers. Now, um, for years, I, I've spoken here and said that, that it's hard to find America in Bible prophecy. Nobody said that up until a, just a few years ago when people started saying, you know what, the truth is it's hard to find America. Um, there are a couple of things that I'll mention to you that might indicate America. There is one in particular that I think reflects America in Bible prophecy, but I have to tell you, it's not very good. And we'll get there probably in a couple of three weeks or maybe sooner. But I I, want to try to deal with this question. So where is America uh, in the last days? And I do, as I say, believe that it is possible. There is a possible um, picture of America, which I'll elaborate on pretty extensively later on. But I want to begin by sharing with you. How many of you know of a man named David Wilkerson? He is dead now. But how many of you know who David Wilkerson is? David Wilkerson began a church in New York City. David was an old country preacher. He moved to New York. He, God spoke to his heart and told him, to go to New York to plant a church, this old country preacher. And he went to New York to plant a church. Times Square Church became the church. And it, I, it, I guess it still has thousands of people when COVID's not going on. Who knows what you can do in New York? Uh, but uh, when COVID's not going on. Thousands and thousands of people uh, attend this church. Um, well, David Wilkerson uh, led a man to Christ. He went to the gangs. That's where he went. He went to the gangs of New York. Can you imagine old country, old country uh, Anglo preacher walking around in the gang, sharing Christ with these gang members and everything, well, he led a guy to Christ named Nicky Cruz. Maybe you've heard Nicky Cruz's story or read it's a great story. And you ought to, you're, he led him to Christ, and Nicky Cruz began to make a difference in the gangs and that sort of stuff. At any rate, over probably uh, Wilkerson's ministry until he retired and moved to uh, Texas, um, he probably was there, I would say, 40-plus years in ministry. And now, David Wilkerson, by the way, is a man I, I truly have respected uh, through the years. Uh, and uh, but he was uh, he was Pentecostal. I wouldn't call him even Baptistostal, because he wasn't. And uh, he was known for issuing certain kinds of warnings, where God would speak to him in dreams or visions. Uh, and I, I I'm very careful with that. Um, B- because there's so many people out there saying I had the vision, I've got a book full of people that have what they call end times visions, and uh, and some of them are all over the place. So you have to be careful with that. But this guy, this guy is credible in my view. He he was very credible, and uh, let me share with you several things he said uh, long before we saw any of the kinds of things we're we're seeing. David Wilkerson, I'm just going to read it to you. It would be easier for me to do that. David Wilkerson had uh, received a series of warnings. In these warnings, he had seen fires burning in the cities, especially in New York. After researching, um, David Wilkerson began warning America as far back as 1985 in his book, Set the Trumpet to Your Mouth. And this is one of the things he said, and I quote, America is going to be destroyed by fire. Sudden destruction is, is coming and few will, escape, un- uh, and few will es- uh, escape the destruction. Unexpectedly and in one hour, a hydrogen holocaust will engulf America and this nation will be no more. Later on, he wrote, an attack from Russia and the great holocaust follows an economic collapse of America. The enemy will make its move when we are weak and helpless. America will need to repent. On September 7, 1992, Wilkerson wrote about seeing 1,000 fires in New York and explained his interpretation of this terrible event. I've had a recurring vision of over 1,000 fires burning at one time in New York City. I am convinced race riots will soon explode. New York is right now a powder keg ready, uh, ready to blow. Federal and state welfare checks will be the spark that ignites the fuse. 100,000 angry men will be on the streets enraged because they have been cut off from uh, their benefits and fires will rage everywhere. Now, if you had asked, uh, said that a couple years ago, you would have thought, Nah, that's not possible until we saw what we saw this past year. Listen, he goes on, Wilson gave a final warning in March of 2009. An earth-shattering calamity is about to happen. It's going to be so frightening, we, will, uh, we are all going to tremble. Even the godliest among us, major cities all across America will experience riots and blazing fires. The same kind of things we saw at Watts in Los Angeles years ago. There will be riots and fires in cities worldwide and looting as well. Wow. Wow. Uh, now, you say, yeah, but he said this was back in 2009, and he said it's, it's going to happen soon. Now, listen, you have to understand God's clock of soon is not like man's clock of soon. For example, Jeremiah, uh, there are a lot of parallels today to our hearing and not hearing God. Jeremiah, uh, he, uh, he, he kept telling Israel, repent, turn, if you don't, uh, God's going to bring uh, a pagan nation down, and they're going to conquer you and take you into captivity. He was talking about Babylon. You know how long he prophesied that? For over 13 years before it happened. So God's prophetic time clock, What? and look, if you're God uh, 13 years, 15 years, that's nothing, is it? Uh, it's nothing. Uh, with, with God. And by the way, the older you get, the faster you realize time goes anyway, right? And so uh, I, I just think these are intriguing. They ask him, by the way, I remember they asked uh, related to one of the previous ones I shared with you, uh, America, uh, the, about fire. He had several of those related to fires and those sorts of things that would happen. And they asked him after uh, um, 9-11, that's what I'm trying to say, they asked him, "Was that the, one of the fire prophecies about New York City?" Where the he said, "Nope, I wasn't talking about that. That's not it." And uh, at any rate, uh, his stuff. I always paid attention to his stuff. He's a godly man, and uh, I think it's just interesting. So, where is America in all of this? Now you have you have uh, Bible scholars, prophecy scholars, on. Uh, all the spectrums: those who say America is not mentioned at all. You have those who say America is mentioned lightly. You have those who say America is is in fact a, a player in the prophetic uh, scenario. And so you just need to know that's one of the things about Bible prophecy. And I've spent the past year, uh, I've taught it many times, but I have really spent the past year digging in it more, I guess, than I ever have in my 40 plus years of ministry. And I tell you something. I've learned some things that I thought I knew, and I've learned some things, and I've also learned something uh, that I never really entertained, and that was that a lot of this is very mysterious. Meaning that um, you have to be very careful because there are a lot of ways it can go. Does that does that make sense? So it it just there's a lot of uh, possibilities with. some of this. I'm going to sit this down so I have some room here. So um, w- where's America? Well, generally speaking, and with growing audience, America is not prominently, is the way I would say it, featured in uh, the last days. For example, it's not mentioned, you know, Ezekiel 38 and 39, we've been talking about, remember it mentions all the nations. Gog, Gog is the leader of Magog. Magog is Russia and Tubal, and all of these different countries that are named, Turkey, Greece, uh, Egypt, all of them, Iran, Persia, Syria, all of these, we see those by name in the scripture, right? But we don't see America by name. And so generally, we, we say that America is not um, significantly, if at all, mentioned. Now, uh, so the arguments are like this, because we can't find America's name, we assume that America is, is not involved in the last days whatsoever. But here's what you have to factor in. At the time the prophets wrote, there was no America, America didn't exist. Now be careful with that, because that's one of the arguments of you. Well, America didn't exist, so they didn't have a name for America. But when God's doing prophecy, America existed in the mind of God. Hello? So it wouldn't have been, and there is a chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 18, where it speaks of a no-named nation. And there are some who say, that's America, because just they, it, the prophet doesn't give us a name, so that's America. And I think that's a very weak uh, argument. But it's not a good argument to say, well, there just wasn't an America, because what that does is it undermines God's omniscience, God knew that America would exist long before America exists, and all the way back, God understood the historical timeline of nations. And so, but that's one of the arguments that is used. Well, we we uh, you have to remember that America uh, didn't exist when the prophets wrote. So, uh, but fact is, there could be a symbolic representation of America. I think there might have been, but I'm not going to let you know. I'm not going to get there yet. Uh, The second thing that uh, is argued is why America is not featured, if it is at all, in the last days. The second argument is because the rapture will have removed so many believers that it renders America helpless or insignificant. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? First of all, we we want God to rapture us before all this bad stuff happens. And uh, that's another uh, section that I've talked about that we won't go into tonight. But we won't. So it wouldn't it be great to say, well, you know, uh, the reason America is not a factor is because so many Christians have been raptured out of America, and so America has been weakened by the loss of so many Christians. Does that make sense? That's an argument. But here's the problem with that argument. Wouldn't that also be true for all these other nations around the world? that they too, the Christians in all these other lands, would be, would be taken by the rapture. So they would, be, they would be reduced to even less significance than America. So that's just not a good argument as to why America is not uh, uh, possibly identified in the last days. But uh, if we are living in the last days, as a Bible teacher uh, as most Bible teachers believe, I don't know of any that you talk to that won't tell you that we're not somewhere in the, in, in the last days, the end of the age on, at some level. Remember this, though, the end of the age for God may be 50 years. It may be a hundred years from now because he doesn't measure time. That's why Peter wrote and said, uh, uh, one day is like a thousand years with the Lord." Now, so, but we don't know, right, what, what that We do know this. Frankly, we've been living in the last days every since when, class, since Jesus ascended. That initiates the last days. However, be careful because people sometimes say, well, that means Jesus could come back at any time. That's called imminence. <clears throat> the only time imminence becomes viable is is after all the pre-return of Christ prophecies occur. Then any time after that, he can come at any time. But he set that up. We didn't. Like, for example, let me give you help, see if I can help clarify. Do y'all remember that Jesus uh, prophesied how the apostle Peter would die? Do y'all remember that before he was taken up? He told him how he was going to die. Now, there are some prophecy scholars who haven't thought through the implication of that because they will say, but imminence means that Jesus, after he left, he could come back any time. But he just told Peter that at the end of his life, he was going to die a certain way. So here's what he was saying. I won't be coming back before that happens. Does that make sense? Now, so there are other things there. Now, I've told you before there was a supersign. Y'all know what the supersign of the last days was? Y'all know it. Is somebody tell me? It's the regathering of Israel or the Jews, into their homeland and reestablishing themselves as an a nation. All prophecy teachers will tell you, it doesn't matter what your view on the tribulation is, on the rapture, on any, all of them will tell you that's a super sign. That was the one that said, the clock is ticking. But that had been prophesied. So, so do you understand when we talk imminence? because that had to happen first, Jesus would not come back before that happened. Does that make sense? So, so he couldn't have come back because he's already established some things that have to happen before he comes back. Hello? Am I making sense? All right. The war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is one of those things. And now listen, the second, of, the second coming of Christ occurs When? At the end of the tribulation. Don't confuse it with the rapture. Now, I'm a post tribber about that, but there are mid tribbers and pre wrath uh, uh, tribbers and po- uh, uh, pre tribbers, and uh, I mean, there's all kinds of tribbers. But it doesn't matter about what you are. The second coming is clearly identified where? At the end of the tribulation. So before he can return in his second coming what's going to happen tribulation but people what 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 some teachers do is they confuse the tribulation I mean the the second coming and the rapture they are not the same thing hello they're two different things so uh my point is be careful that you say, he could come any time, he could come any time. And you know what? I even got to think, well, Ray, you've been guilty of, of not tacitly, but, but even often implying, we kind of preach, you better get ready, you better get ready, and you better. But all the implication is sometimes because you don't know. But we do know certain things have to happen before he returns, before he returns. Okay? Am I making sense? So, but imminence, that is, he could come in any moment, does happen, but it happens after certain prophetic events occur. Y'all do like this if that makes sense to you, okay? So, so, um, we're living in the last days. But the return of Christ is still um, is still beyond a couple of events that have to happen. but the super sign was what we know this has kicked in. Now if you ask me and since you I know you would if you if you could. I would tell you that I believe we are living in the period that Jesus referred to in Matthew 20. This is just my opinion, but what he called the birth pangs. Y'all know what I'm talking about, you know, famine and pestilence or pandemic, wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus makes an interesting statement that's not talked about often prophetically. He says, but the end is not yet. These are the beginnings of the birth pangs, what that is, Jesus isn't talking about imminence there. He's talking about don't be ignorant. You can understand, you can see certain things, and you know that the season of the, his return is getting closer and closer and closer. And so the birth pangs, that means things are getting, the pace is quickening. Would you all agree that feels like it is? It does, doesn't it? I mean the pace is quickening, so because the pace is quickening, all smart people go, mm-hmm. getting closer, closer and closer. We better trim our lamps. Y'all remember the parable of the of the uh, the ten virgins, and they five of them got oil, and five of them didn't. And it's a, it is a parable about the second coming, the return of Christ, and so the birth pangs. I think Jesus pointed out to prepare us or to get us to make us aware so that we would begin the preparation process. Does that make sense? So we start seeing these things and they start, they start converging uh, and, and the pace starts picking up. We start saying, yeah, we better make sure we got all our ducks in a row. And I would say, and that's my opinion, but I would say that's the season we are living in. We are in the birth pangs. And how long those last? I don't know. Maybe 50 years. I, you know, They're picking up, though. It, it may be five years. And let me say something else, because I said before the return of Christ that certain things still have to happen. Listen to this. But one thing could trigger another thing, and you could have some things all of a sudden just start, start dominoing. Does that make sense? I believe the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to do that. That's my personal opinion. I think it's going to uh, uh, fast-pace the events that follow it. I think it's going to cause the rise of the Antichrist to become prominent. I think it's going to probably collapse the economies of the world and those sorts of things. And so, boom, trigger. It's a trigger event. And things start, and things start happening Uh, So it's not like, okay, this happens and then you wait for a decade or two decades and this happens. That may be the case. We don't really know, but it is also true that I think some of those events that we are still anticipating are going to be trigger events because a whole lot of stuff's already in place. Hello? So boom, boom, boom. Am I making sense? All right. Uh, But again, why would America, the most powerful and wealthy nation in history, why would it be omitted? Why would it be omitted from the last days? I mean, if you're an American, let's face it, you know, our ego isn't strong enough to say, why wouldn't, I mean, you, you're kidding. We're not going to be in the picture somewhere? Well, we may. But listen to what Joel Rose, Rosenberg, you all know who Joel Rosenberg is? He's a uh, um, prolific writer. Uh, if you've read any of his uh, fictions, uh, they are biblically sound and um they are, he's one of the two fiction writers that I read. I don't read a lot of fiction, but I read Rosenberg. Now he's written some other stuff. He's a believer, um, a uh, converted Jew, uh, has worked at the Pentagon and worked for Netanyahu as a consultant. And these, these folks, um, a very credible, good writer. Rosenberg has a blog. If you read blogs, you can track him down. But he said this, listen, I quote. He said, The Bible doesn't say what happens to us, Americans. But by the absence of us being clearly defined in the text of Scripture, it means something has happened. The question is what? What will happen to us that will neutralize our ability or our desire to be an influential player in the last days prior, uh, uh, the last days of history prior to the return of Jesus Christ? So he asked the question, "What is it? Something must happen if we're not because being who Americans have been and the uh, and, and the most powerful empire in history, why would we not be some at least some influence in this?" So I want to give you some potential uh, some potential events that could eliminate America's position. Uh, or our status, our influence in the last days? What could happen? Now, you, when I say these, you probably have already thought of these, but let me give them to you. Number one, it could be because of economic collapse. You know, I wish it weren't so, but frankly, our economy right now, while the stock market is doing great and everything, you do realize that our economy is based purely on confidence in the, the bills, the, the dollar, it's no longer because there's gold to support it. And so what we've done and it's amazing that it hasn't cr- produced at this stage super hyperinflation. When we need money, we just print more. And uh, you know, just like the stimulus program, they just print money. And because we have all agreed and thankfully so that we're going to let our confidence rest in these green things, um, we, uh, we, our economy uh, survives, but there can come, and some financial analyst, uh, Harry Dent Jr., for example, uh, uh, argues that there's a there's a critical point where where your debt is greater than than the confidence that you can produce through printing money. And uh, by the way, the new thing to keep, I don't have time really to talk about it tonight is cryptocurrency. Uh, that's gonna be, by the way, that's a very dangerous thing in my view because of the power that it will eventually uh, cede to some world leader that, um, that uh, this electronic currency, which by the way, they do, they mine for it. It's a weird process that I don't fully understand. But you have uh, what they call Bitcoin that is attached to a thing called blockchain. And blockchain is how they monitor and collect data that's necessary to validate the Bitcoin. Now, I know, I just don't ask me to explain all that because I still don't understand it all. But what I do know is blockchain is the way that they monitor who, you, who has the Bitcoin. And data all about you. Um, let me tell you something while I'm on this and while I'm thinking about this, since you ask. Uh, let me tell you about the age of vaccination. People ask me, are you for or against the, the vaccination? Well, um, yes and no. I, you know, I, I'm not going to take it anytime soon, but I've had COVID. Now, the reports I'm reading, I read one a month or so ago, I guess, in the Wall Street Journal, about uh, a research, three major research universities studied for eight months those who had COVID and studied them. And here's what they determined. And now you're starting to hear it a little bit. In fact, the, the CDC is starting to back off of four to six. You know, they told you if, you if you had it, you got four to six months of immunity. The studies are now showing years of immunity if you've had it. And so, uh, so I'm in no rush. And they've even asked people, if you've had COVID, would you mind waiting till people who haven't can get the vaccine? You say, what are you talking about the vaccine? Because y'all ask. No, you didn't. Um, but this vaccine is different because unlike previous vaccines, it does not actually use any of the virus. Did y'all know that? It deals with proteins, and it attaches itself to your DNA and permanently alters your DNA. That's a little spooky. That they can permanent. you know, I don't, look, I wouldn't tell anybody not to get it. I asked my doctor, who's a third-going Christian, I said, you going to get it? And he said, yep. And I will probably get it down the road. Uh, So I'm not telling people not to get it. I'm just simply saying there's some spooky stuff attached to it. Now, as a part of this, what's going to happen, I told our staff we were talking about some of these things, what's going to start happening in the culture, and this is a reflection, this is why I'm telling you prophetically, what's going to start happening is uh, when this vaccine becomes wholesale and people can get it uh, uh, fairly easy, the places where you work are going to start requiring you to have been vac- vaccinated. And you may have a problem with it. They 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 don't they won't care. They will say if you're going to work here, you got to have the vaccine. And you probably will say but and I got to have a job. So I'm not telling you it's evil, but I am telling you it is a reflection of what's coming in the next few years in our culture, and that is that the government will increasingly invade your privacy. They're already talking about requiring um, verification on a passport that you've been vaccinated in order to travel. Um, So you're going to... And here's what that... Are y'all following me what that reflects? It reflects a growing... Socialistic control of people you can't okay I'm sorry you can't you can't uh, work here without it you can't teach school your kid can't come to school if they haven't been vaccinated by on and on it goes. you see what I'm saying it, it's gone this has changed everything. there will be people say, do you require uh, people to attend church to have a vaccination? Uh, or to be vaccinated for, it, because if you don't, I'm not coming. We'll have that kind of stuff. Now, by the way, I have no intention of doing that, you know. But don't be surprised if the government tries to enforce that at some point down the road. They'll say, "It's look, it's safe, it, it works, and why wouldn't you? Our leaders are all getting it, and on and on and on. Now, again, hear me say, I'm not saying not to get it, I'm just saying it is a reflection of a growing kind of control that will move into our culture. Does that make sense? And that, to me, is the spooky side of it. Uh, the Bitcoin thing, you know, cryptocurrencies, look, think about what the Bible says. In the last days, you will, if you don't have the mark, you'll not be able to buy or sell. Now, how would they know? Well, what if cryptocurrency, this cyber currency, becomes the means by which you can buy and sell things, which, by the way, a lot of other nations, China, for example, is talking about about bypassing Bitcoin and just developing their own cyber currency. You're going to see that start happening. There's already been a move. COVID has caused uh, so many places to say, we'd rather not take cash. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. By the way, there's no coin shortage like you've been told. There's no coin shortage. Um, but all of these things are reflective of something I personally believe that's happening behind the scenes that I really, I really believe has a more global kind of perspective, which is thoroughly consistent with the Scripture, about a world kind of a world system. We've talked about it for decades, a one-world kind of a government and system, and, um, and we may see that. Economic collapse. Let me go back to Joel Rosenberg. Y'all got about five more minutes? I mean, where are you going to go? You're going home? Five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. Joel Rosenberg. I quote, something has gone terribly wrong with the American experiment. Our families are imploding. Our national debt is exploding. And experts on the left and right are warning that we need to change directions because we're on an unsustainable trajectory economically, socially, and culturally. So it may be that America is not a, 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 a factor in the last days or an influential factor because We've had economic collapse, and if we have a significant economic collapse in this country, guess what? We're not going to be traveling overseas. We won't be sending our armies to to places to help fight battles and those sorts of things. What will we be doing, class? Trying to survive, okay? So it could be an economic thing. I'll I'll give you one more, and then we'll stop until next week. How about uh, an EMP event? Do y'all know what an EMP event is? electromagnetic pulse. Have you all heard that terminology? Electromagnetic pulse is a weapon system in which, uh, and we have it, we have that capacity. Other nations have the capacity in which what they, for lack of a better explanation, they can explode a bomb in the atmosphere over a city and it will shut down its power grade, all its ele- it fries the electronics, you can't, won't even be able to drive your car, you, won't, you can't turn on television, you m- might not have uh, any kind of electrical power, all an EMP, electromagnetic pulse event. And uh, we know other nations are working on that technology. By the way, I got, a, I got an article right here, I just printed off not long, it says Department of Homeland Security issues a warning over potential EMP attack as the presidential election nears. Let me just give you a couple of quotes Other, that. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security released a new report warning about a potential electromagnetic pulse attack against the U.S. The uh, DHS's warning published um, back about a month or so ago Uh, with just a few days until the U.S. presidential election on November 3rd indicates that there are evolving threats against the American homeland, most recently highlighting efforts to combat electromagnetic pulse attack, which could uh, disrupt the electrical grid of the nation. Uh, Peter Vincent Pry, the ex chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission, they have commissioned a task force to try to help us uh, be prepared, uh, in an op ed said, The virus pandemic from China has exposed dangerous weaknesses in the U.S., planning and preparing for civil defense protection and recovery. And those weaknesses surely have been noticed by our potential enemies, China. Russia, North Korea, Iran, and international terrorists. And he warned that China has been planning to defeat the U.S. with an EMP event and uh, what they call a cyber Pearl Harbor attack for over a quarter of a century. They've been working. We're told, I I could go on, I won't. We're told that their advance in this uh, technology. Is uh, incredible. They're way ahead of America. This I just clipped out about two about two weeks ago uh, from uh, a magazine a periodical. I take it says the U.S. Here's the headline: The U.S. facing devastated uh, devastating electromagnetic attack. Just quickly, it says in a report that should send shockwaves through Washington, a high-level task force has warned that China, for the first time, has the means. Listen to this: to launch a first strike electromagnetic pulse attack that would cripple our power infrastructure and produce a deadly blackout across America. The report from the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security reveals that China now has super EMP weapons and knows how to protect itself from an EMP attack. The alarming report also indicates that China has formulated plans to shoot first with high altitude electromagnetic pulse weapons launched from satellite and ships and land. It may be an event like that renders us helpless. And you know, the other article was talking about with the the COVID, our enemies have certainly watched and, and seen the vulnerabilities that exist. So Uh, It could be that kind of uh, of event. I'm almost finished. There are three power grids nationally that generate and distribute all of the electricity in the U.S. If any one of those were taken down in full or even partially for an extended period of time, the effects would be catastrophic. The Department of Homeland Security at, at, at this stage has no extensive Plans for dealing with the aftermath of such an incident. The current administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency (FEMA) believes that a se- successful cyber attack is likely in our future. All right. So, um, so why is America not a significant player? It could be economic collapse. It could be an event like this that renders us essentially helpless. And then I've got several more, but you'll have to wait till next week uh, to know uh, what they are. And uh, so, so let's stop right there. Uh, I wondered, do you, have, um, do you have any questions that I might uh, respond to before we're gone here tonight? Anything? We're good. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I hope that's informative and helpful. Um, it may be depressing. I hope not. Look, keep your eyes on Jesus. Over the last several months, I was interviewed by our two major uh, television stations. After I had COVID, they wanted to talk to me and ask me kind of what was like, and you know, for the church and for me and all that sort of stuff. And they were very good and gracious to me. They didn't. They didn't air everything I said, which is, you know, usually how it goes. But one of the questions that, uh, in a roundabout way, both uh, stations asked me, and I, then I did an interview, an online interview, and this is the question, what have you learned from COVID? Well, our staff will talk about that. What are we learning? and, and, and where, But here's what I have learned. I shared this with my daughter recently in Nashville. I said here's the one thing I've learned that life truly is one day at a time with Jesus. So if you will keep your eyes on Jesus today, Jesus said a day each day has enough trouble of its own. And aren't you more valuable than the flowers and the birds and those sorts of things? So seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added. So my parting word to you tonight is keep your eye on Jesus. I told them I have really learned beyond just my preaching and my belief, I've really learned this one day at a time. I told my my daughter, I said, here's a verse I want you to remember, sweetheart. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then remember this. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in. I may not have any more days like this. It, it could get really dark, but today I have it. And so I'm going to walk with him and live for him and rejoice. He's given me today my health. I've got my health. I've got a home. I've got clothes. Uh, I've got food. My wife is going to have waiting for me when I leave you. And so this is a day that the Lord has made. That's my encouragement to you. Really, we only have one day anyway, Right regardless of COVID or the uncertainties around us, I mean, you only have one day at a time. And that's the only way you can really walk with God consistently. That's what I'm learning. and uh, Because especially as a pastor, this is the hardest thing I've ever done, try to lead a church through, through this. I'll just be honest with you. I, you, don't get there, you don't get any practice at this. And every day and every week, sometimes we're having to make uh, decisions and adjustments on the fly. And here's the thing, you plan down here, but you don't know if that plan will hold up by the time you get there. You may have to make changes. So one day at a time, I I say this, look to the future. Think about the future. Move your life uh, in the way God would have you move your life for the future, but live for Him today. Because when you get down here, and quit worrying about down there. In fact, be aware of what I've talked about. Don't worry about it. Your worrying isn't going to change any of it if it happens, and, and uh, the, the way that some may say. And so, aim your life toward God and God's future, but don't live in the future. Live here today with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay.